Hello, I'm your host, Olivia Braffman, and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge us ambitious women that little bit closer to figuring out how to navigate both the fulfilling career and the family we desire. And well, challenge is the role we're supposed to play in it all. Each week, I'm going to be talking to the inspiring women who, in their own special way, have done just that. Let's get into it. In today's episode, I'm joined by Emma Barry, Global Fitness Authority, co-founder of Good Soul Hunting, author of Building a Badass Boutique, and go-to opinion leader and speaker for what is going on across the world of fitness. She's an advisor to the fit tech industry and beyond all of that, a friend to everyone she crosses paths with, including myself. Having traveled the world like clad on global stages in the 90s, launching the infamous Body Pump as a founding member of Les Mills, to directing all things group fitness with the powerhouse that is Equinox, to the incredible legacy that she has created as a brand in her own right, consulting for the biggest wellness businesses we know today. Emma Barry, you radiate energy, passion, and purpose. I think something we all seek to achieve and all while running a busy household with three gorgeous children. Welcome to If She Can, I Can, and thank you so much for being here. I am so honored to be here, and it's always weird when you have your life sort of spun back to you, but uh, thank you for that very generous intro, and it feels like I haven't seen you since London days, so uh, hello after all these years. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know, and I've moved away and then moved back, and I feel like everything and nothing has changed, um, which is sort of comforting and terrifying all at the same time, but here we are, um, and awesome to get to speak to you, Emma. So... I have followed your journey for many years and this is a little bit different. I'm really excited to get to know a little bit more about the person behind all of it. I have so many questions, but take me back first of all. You have done so much. I'm currently speaking to you from California. I'm in London. You grew up in New Zealand. What was life like for you growing up and was fitness always part of the plan? Yeah, so very outdoorsy, very down-to-earth New Zealand, wonderful, grounded upbringing uh, for children and always very, very sporty. So I was a netballer, I was in track and field, I was a gymnast. Pretty good at all those things, Uh, not the best in the world, but pretty good all-rounder. So fitness was always a a very big part of my life, but I never thought it would be my career because I sort of thought you've got your body and you've got your mind. And uh, really, I was a lot more focused on being a lawyer back in the day. But um, yeah, so that was my very active upbringing. We camped and tramped and or hiked for those over here in the in the US um, and, and had a very active lifestyle. We always had about three sports going. Um, you know, our parents were always dropping us off at one thing or another. And every lunchtime and every after school was always busy. So yes, fitness was a very central part to, to my life growing up. Awesome. And what about the ambition? You've you know, achieve such incredible heights in the industry. Where do you think that all stemmed from? Yeah, it's an interesting question. My dad was always an incredibly hard worker. He was a paediatrician, he's retired now, but I would watch him work these incredibly long hours. So I think back in the day, and I know lots of people can relate as we've sort of gone through the pandemic and everyone's reprioritizing and going, I need life balance and all of these things. 
I certainly experienced, and that would have been, you know, my drive as well. You know, we went through a real hardcore phase, you know, go hard and go home, uh, work the hours, do what's needed, um, you know, pretty much sacrifice a decade or two, just working really hard. So my dad was very hardworking, as was my mum. My mum um, brought us up predominantly because dad obviously had a very busy job and these were back in the days that they sort of every few days they were doing the all-nighter as well. So, you know, there was not much life balance probably in dad's in dad's life and I sort of witnessed that and I thought, you know, you've got to... I formed some beliefs around that probably and that you need to work hard to get ahead. Um, so there was that part of it. And then mum, um, you know, was very artistic, always wanted to be something like an architect. Back in those days, and I know you and I are both uh, fondly fond members of, of WIFA, she had a couple of choices. She could be a teacher or she could be a nurse. And that was very frustrating to my mum, and I remember that as well. So I think there were two, in the way that I remember my childhood, two driving forces. My father following his dream of being a doctor in the public health system, and then my mum's slight frustration of not being able to follow her path. And then I think those two things sort of combined in me, both genetically and also in terms of my environment growing up. So I got this hard work ethic, I was always very strong, you know, you spoke about the physicality, so I was tall, I had always had muscles, I was strong, I could pretty much keep up with the boys. So in many ways, I didn't experience um, what I understand now and what I listen to in many women's journeys of not being seen, not being heard, not having the confidence to step forward. So these are some of the things that shaped me without me even knowing it, I'm just out there living my life, but that's sort of what has shaped me probably in my drive for whatever I've gone after. Wow, that's incredible. So it was carving the path for, you know, the I guess the dream that your mother wasn't able to go and pursue and kind of following in your dad's footsteps of probably not knowing anything but hard work and kind of put the two together and the world is your oyster in terms of, I guess, what you were able to go out and achieve, which is which is amazing. So where did it start? Yeah, and you know, it's interesting, my mum my mum did go back. It was interesting, my mum did go back later on and and she she studied as an adult and she did actually, you know, design some houses and go on to be a kitchen designer, but it was sort of like a second career. So I, I just put that piece in there because I know that we're gonna to get to this in the discussion as well, is that particularly today, I believe we're gonna have about ten careers. And so we can get over this oh my goodness, am I following my dream? Am I 100% on purpose? Am I going to change the world through this thing? And we could just start trying stuff. <laughs> and I think there's something quite freeing in that. Oh my gosh, I couldn't agree more. We're, there's this pressure to sort of choose your career at the age of 18, study something at university and pursue it forever. Because I think that was probably, you know, a few generations back, the norm. And now there are so many people that are kind of going, that's not what I want to do, shift and change something else, retrain. There are so many more options, I think, available and working habits, working patterns that um, there is so much more choice. And I, I love that. Why have one career when you can have 10 is a hugely inspiring message for sure. So what about your path? You grew up in New Zealand. You made your way into the world of fitness. You've sort of grown up being very sporty and that being sort of quite a natural, a natural path forward for you. Where did the career bit start in terms of your, your launch into that space? 
Yeah, it probably came, like I mentioned before, I I was quite binary in the way that I was looking at things. I was looking at if you used your body and worked in a gym, it wasn't a real job. So I had that belief that I sat upon. And then I originally charged off wanting to be a defence lawyer and heading off to Otago University in New Zealand and you know, wanting to do law, uh, but, you know, I hadn't worked hard enough in school and I, I wasn't great at sitting exams and things like that. So after a couple of failed attempts at, you know, hitting the straight A average, which you needed back in the day, I think it's even even higher today. But I, I realised that that wasn't going to be my my path. And then, of course, I got into phys ed school. And back in those days, uh, it was a while ago now, it was the only physical education school in New Zealand. And it had quite a reputation. It was a reputation, you know, it had, it had party, it had, you know, great people, it had great training. It was at this wonderful university town in Dunedin. And I always knew I'd get into that, but I didn't see it as a true career path. So I went there because I, I failed at getting into law. And then I, you know, did that and I never wanted to be a teacher because you sort of went through and you thought, oh, all you can do is be a phys ed teacher or something like that. But what it did do is it reminded me that, yes, it's fine to use my body, but I also wanted to use my mind. So I was on the lookout for how I could stitch together the business of fitness with fitness. And so I pretty quickly, once I started working at Les Mills, started stepping into leadership roles within that. So I became an instructor, became a personal trainer, then wanted to step into the management of one of those departments. And that ended up being uh, group fitness in Auckland at the flagship Les Mills up in Auckland. And then sort of started my, my journey as a manager of various things. So did that, um, then I was going to leave Les Mills because I wanted to see the world. I've always had this this huge drive to you know, let go of the rails and, and head off overseas and be a citizen of the world. I was born in London, so I always had this thing in me that mum and dad had me overseas. That was sort of part of my home. New Zealand was part of my home. I really wanted to spend time in other countries. So I always had a massive travel bug, and my parents were well-traveled as well. So that was always a, a bit of an expectation, and that sort of runs in our family as well. So, yeah, so so did that and then, you know, thought, goodness, I'm going to go and see the world. I'll go and be an air hostess or something that will get me off the island. Nothing wrong with New Zealand, absolute paradise. But I knew I wanted to sort of go out and explore the world. And at that point, Philip uh, Mills sat me down and said, look, we're actually thinking of doing the pump thing in Australia. Would be Would you be interested in that? And that really launched pretty much the next 20 years for me uh, with Les Mills, traveling around the world, opening up the markets, being very, very fortunate to be part of the famous five, the initial international master trainers who went around the world. We were pretty much living out of suitcases for months at a time, opening up markets, working incredibly hard, so using that, that work hard ethic uh, but at the same time as it being incredibly exhilarating, you know, sort of mid-late 20s at that point, and, you know, you were relatively unattached, you know, any relationships you were trying to have didn't survive, <laughs> you know, they're not going to survive that kind of travel schedule and, and work schedule and things like that, but, you know, you were out experiencing the world, making incredibly deep friendships with people I'm still friends with today. In fact, we're just enjoying 25-year anniversaries with the Dutch team last month, with the, 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 with the UK team next month, uh, with the Swedish team next month. So, you know, to have lived a quarter of a decade and to see that whole thing come round and, you know, that business has been working hard for 25 years. And still going strong, And still right? going strong and getting stronger and stronger and, and bigger and bigger in different ways. Of course, it's a lot more corporate and serious and 
focused than it was back in our day, but it's getting stronger and bigger and impacting more lives, which is the, the common thread that we all have, whoever works for Les Mills International, any of the brands around the world has in common. It's for a fitter planet, both the people and the environment that, that we have our businesses in. So yeah, so that, that was that, and then arrived in the US and, and, and have done other things since then. So I, I left the brand after 20, 25 years, when we won rent green cards to move to the United States, my adventure bug talked the family into coming over, <laughs> and um, we've been here eight years, eight years now, and um, yeah, and so got to work for Equinox, which was an amazing experience for three years, and sort of answered into New York's, but uh, commuted from LA for three years, which was wonderful, had an incredible team, and this was pre-pandemic, so we had a wonderful innovation team and programmers and. You know, we had about 10 different categories that we were programming for and, you know, that that just really sharpened my my corporate skill set on, you know, how big, big brands operate in the United States, which was amazing. And then just started, you know, had to consult after that, you know, just wanted to get even more worldly and, and around the world. So for the last five years, been consulting. And then we actually started um, or rebranded an executive search brand, Good Soul Hunting, during the pandemic, we were going to launch, but the pandemic came along and we launched in it anyway. And and more recently, I've been involved in fitness technology, which um, I believe is, is the future of, of scaling all the wonderful fitness offerings that we have around the world. So I'm very involved in that conversation as part of the future. So, so diverse and yet so many common values that have sort of seen you through all of these different milestones in your career. And I think that emphasis on seeing the world seems to have followed you through all of them and you know you still have that opportunity in 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 what you do now which is which is pretty incredible I'm interested in clearly Philip saw something in you way back when in your 20s to sort of say right we're going to take this global and 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 you're coming with us what do you think it was about you as a person what were you doing what behaviors were you showing that meant they recognized you as someone they wanted to sort of give a very big platform to and 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 really elevate the career of yes goodness i guess we we should probably ask him that question but i think part of it is um philip's an entrepreneur and you you don't create something like les mills what it's done around the planet without having you know, a pretty thick skin, you've, you know, of course I can rather than all the, you don't see the obstacles so much. So I think, you know, there's probably a few things. I think, you know, young, dumb and full of it was probably part of it. You know, I was somewhat on my game back in the day. You know, the, I was able to physically deliver the classes. We were all very athletic, um, you know, myself, Mike McSweeney, who was the choreographer of Body Pump and my husband or my later husband-to-be, like we won... Clash of the Codes, which was a TV show up against all these other codes, against rugby and rowing and surf lifesaving and all these amazing codes. So we were athletes. And so I think that was one aspect of it was physically I was up to the challenge of because Body Pump, if you, you probably weren't born at this point, but, you know, when it, when it was unleashed on the world, it was very much the antithesis of what our industry had become. We were very dance and leg warmers and lycra and, you know, Russia Cha, Mumbo, you know, lot Step had got very complex. Uh, you know, th that was what Pump was going up against. And then all of a sudden you've got these five people 
dressed in black, wearing sunglasses and bandanas, not smiling a hell of a lot, and kind of but in sick shape, and just introducing weights to the what was the aerobics room back in the day, which then became group fitness room. So I think there was a physical element to it. I think he probably thought I had half a brain cell, you know, to be able to, you know, because you're still putting together the trainings and you're still having to win over people and, and put together good arguments because you're trying to talk your way into gyms and chains and training teams and people who didn't want to be trained and people who didn't want to be told that there was a program and you had to follow it. I mean, you have to know that back in the day, these things, yes, there was jazzercise and things like this, but this was something different. And it went up against a lot of people's belief systems. It pushed up against their creativity and so you needed to have, you know, that entrepreneurial, you know, bulldozer, uh, you know, sort of mentality. And I think I probably had enough of those elements. Um, and I was really excited about it, you know, and I, I loved the thought of not much um, daunted me. So I think, you know, again, you've got that, you know, you've just got to have a whole lot of people who want to make shit happen, frankly, you know, and I, I think I have I have that um, in abundance. So possibly some of the things that Philip saw and also he saw that he was about to lose me not that you know he hasn't lost staff over the years it it really wasn't you know if you don't, if you don't give me something I'm not going to stay around it was really I'm off to see the world like it really was it really was that so I think it was a timing thing as well and really it was uh, Bill Robertson who you know who was really our representative in Australia and he he co-founded the business as well because he said look I want to bring this pump thing to Australia and while we're at it let's take it to the world so I think if there hadn't been the opportunity of Bill getting behind it, and if there hadn't been a few people like myself and McSweeney and Steve Renata and and Pete Manuel and a few people back in the day, you know, you don't sort of take these things on unless you have sort of the army to deliver it. Right. It's so true. So it's sort of a bit of a mixture of luck, serendipity, core values, entrepreneurial spirit, kind of all stars aligning, coming together to, to allow you the opportunity to really dive into something truly exciting. So you've done all these amazing things. So you've got Les Mills, incredible career with them. You've moved around, you mentioned. Then I had to talk my family into coming over to the States. So what family is this at this point? Who are you moving exactly from from where to where? Right, so uh, my husband, who was running a, uh, a wonderful, he was training sports people, elite sports people, so he's trained All Blacks, and he's trained uh, Yachties, and he's trained Top Boxers, uh, David Tour at the height of his career, and so he had a studio in Newmarket, so, you know, that, that had to be left behind, and then we had three kids that were relatively young. In moving over to the US, we had each of them entering a different school. So one was at elementary, one would be going into middle, and one would be going into high school. So that's sort of, you know, that's a big thing to uproot your kids. We figured that they were still young enough that they would be okay. You know, it's not like you were dealing with, you know, 16-year-old teenagers who had boyfriends and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, so they, they were pretty open to it. But they had a, you know, a wonderful life in New Zealand. I was very aware of what we were leaving. Um, but, you know, we had this, or I had this pull to come over here and just, you know, perhaps line up different opportunities for myself and for the family and, sort of to jump in a bigger pond um, and just sort of, you know, I'd rather be struggling and sort of half swimming in that rather than things getting a little bit too comfortable at home and just never being able to get out of New Zealand. And again, New Zealand is paradise. It really is wonderful. Um, and I wanted to see the world. And it's hard to get out of New Zealand because it's so damn expensive because it's so far from anything. So it was almost like, let's just go over and have an experience. We can always go home um, and just, you know, see where it takes us. So quite amazingly, so it was really your career and your 
dream that that meant all of the family uprooted I think that's you know when I speak to people that's the less common way around that I normally hear it it's sort of husband's career sort of takes precedent and moves family but but really this was really this was you driving that that relocation yes it was um in this instance yes although we did my husband and I did have a conversation before we went and that we we got a little bit of strategic help because you know even I'm not as stupid as not to have any plan when you go and do something this big and we we agreed that at least one of us needed to have a decent job before we shifted um because you know it was just too much risk you know you were leaving everything and you had you know three kids that needed you know food on the table and the rest of it so we went through a, a strategic exercise and and I managed to to get us into that situation and then um and, and then we decided to move and it literally was a five-week decision like because the window was closing when you win a green card by diversity lottery you literally have a year to, to move and if you haven't moved you lose that window and you probably never get asked back again so we had sort of decided we're not going, it's too much of a risk, blah, blah. And then I just, we went on holiday and I just couldn't sleep. It just, it was bothering me so much. I just couldn't sleep. And I said, look, we have to find a way for this to work. I, I have to go. Um, anyway, so so we did that. And I think I do hear people talk about those moments where they have a dream and they just want to pursue it. Even if they come down crashing in flames, at least they give it a go and they don't die wondering. So... I never had all those doubtful thoughts. I just thought we have to go. We've got to go and give this a shake. Right. I love that. And like you said, the worst case, you move back. You can always go back home. But I think the fear of regretting a decision is probably, it's probably my biggest regret in life is not pursuing those things and having those regrets. And I think so often children become the uh, the kind of bull and chain that keeps people in an unhappy state, whether it's in an unhappy job or a country or whatever it might be. So it's incredible to see. So just dialing back a little bit. So you've moved your whole family. Where were you in your career when you started your family? Because I'm imagining you right now doing, you know, working with Les Mills, so active, you're on huge stages in front of thousands of people. Are you pregnant? Like what is going on? How is this all working? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I worked, first of all, Les Mills is very child-friendly, so a lot of people, because it's very women-heavy, you know, in the, in the that we had female women, female fabulous, you know, one of my favourite bosses was running the Big Auckland Club. She had a family. We typically worked through our pregnancies, well, I did anyway. My kids were sort of brought up under the table until they were mobile then they, they went to like the, the creches and the childcare that were either affiliated with the gym or they went to a local one. Um, I also had a very, very friend who, you know, was able to do some flex time and be there because back in the day we were doing a lot of filmings and piloting of classes in the evenings, which is, you know, hell out with children and, and all of that stuff. So I, I was support. I was surrounded by a lot of other women that were having um, you know, bringing their children up uh, alongside their careers and also some very hard workers like you were underslept and, you know, I did I did work at, late into the night when the kids had gone to bed and things like that. I mean, not necessarily things you would recommend for people today, but, you know, when I talked to Philip and I talked to other people who were really building businesses in those startup phases, um, you don't manage to build those working a nine-to-five job incredibly passionate you're doing the things that need to be done at the time 
um, you know, the phase that the business is in now, you know, there's probably a little bit more, well, there's definitely more organisation, more specialisation. People are still working hard, but I don't think you're just, you know, back in the day you were doing all-nighters, you were working weekends, working evenings, all of that stuff, but loving it. So I came through that real school of hard knocks, but everything's kind of rolling with you and kids being brought up along the way. And I had wonderful role models. It wasn't like I was stuck in a corporate structure where, you know, children cannot be seen, you know, um, there was no help around, uh, all of those things. Right. And so did you take time out after you had each of your children? Not a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I actually had three C-sections. I was terrible at giving birth, which is also can be typical of people in the fitness industry. <laughs> you just have really, really tight pelvic floor and all of that stuff. But, um, no, I didn't, I would sort of recover a little bit. Um, it was the biggest physical challenges I'd ever had because I'd never been unfit in my life. And when you actually, when you have a C-section and you can't go out and run around the block and all the rest of it. And I did put on an awful lot of weight on my first child. So these were all firsts for me, like the physical reversal was very hard, but it gave me in, in a way a greater understanding of our industry because if you're fit, you don't know what it's like and you don't understand what it's like to be unfit or not to love exercise or not to mm. find things easy or not to be coordinated or strong or be able to pick up stuff, you know. So it really humbled me and allowed me to enjoy the full round of fitness, including yoga, which was our body balance at the time, and including more low impact things. Because as an athlete, I liked it hard, high impact, heavy, and to just grow that that awareness that, you know, and, and you'll see it now, the people who are the most well-trained do some long and slow and some short and hard and some mobility and regeneration and all these recovery trends that you see coming in now. The best athletes have it all. They can be strong when they're needed. They can go long when they're needed. They can go fast when they're needed and they have mobility and they look after their joints through the ages because that's the other thing. We're seeing a lot of athletes as they age it's not good. You know, they don't have their knees anymore. They can't turn their necks. They're getting hip replacements along with everyone else. So it's that, that middle way and really balancing out fitness, which I learned through my pregnancies. And so it sounds like, you, you know, you took enough time off to recover and then back to work, back to getting into it. I think now the norm has been, well, in the UK, the norm is to take a year out of your work to look after your child and uh, and that year is generally the the mother that does it and you know people worry about the impact of their career so it, was that even an option for you or was it just right I, I've got the right support network around me I've got a supportive workplace which is a, a huge win to be able to to balance everything and and was it a consideration for you or were you just sort of keen to get back into it? Yeah, I never considered it, to be honest, but I think that's in me. I, I you know, a lot of my friends, um, you know, took a year, two years, three years. A lot of them did actually do that. It was never an option for me. I didn't want to stop working. I wanted to be a mum, but not full time. And there was a fear in me. If there was a fear, it was the fear of losing that momentum. And I know that that's part of the the topic that you're addressing with this podcast is, I didn't want to lose that momentum and I spend a lot of time now helping women and, and men and whoever trying to restart their career or to, you know, because it's very difficult because with when you lose momentum, you also lose confidence and you lose contacts and you lose adult conversation and you lose, you know, things move on, especially during the pandemic, you know, or technology or systems. So 
I was aware that I did not want to do that. I didn't want to become sidelined and stop. I certainly slowed, but I, I, I didn't want to stop. Yeah. And I think that's so true. I think confidence is such a huge part of it. And you can understand, you know, you take multiple years out, you, you, your career was a huge part of your identity before and you don't have that. It, you have to build it back up. It's, I totally understand your mentality of getting straight back into it. You know, it makes, makes a lot of sense to me. It resonates for me for sure. So what kind of became your role in the home? So you've got a busy career, you've got your kids. There's the traditional, I guess, female mother role in the home that, that society sort of boxes us in to, to become. What was your role in the home? Yeah, well, it was both. I mean, Lee and I shared, you know, shared stuff at home. Like I said, he was a huge support for me because a lot of my work did take me into the weekends, the evenings, and we still travelled. We travelled as a family. You know, we had big summits back in the day with Les Mills, and we would travel with one or two small kids or whatever it was and go to these big summits around the world. So I definitely was had that support. We also used, um, you know, the kids did go to daycare and things like that. And we had wonderful communities that, you know, helped us with our kids, you know, during the work hours. So, yes, and, you know, I, it was my career that we followed. So, you know, I was leading the breadwinning um, conversation as well. So a little bit of all of it, really. But um, in trying to, because adventure is my number one value um, and journey, something like that. So being on that uh, is what was always driving me pretty much so a little bit of both but I certainly wasn't at home being a mum 24-7 I, I had a I had a lot of help and um, shared those responsibilities with my husband and also the local community mm. and out of interest just in your opinion do you think it's possible had you and your husband had equal desires to pursue certain careers do you think it's possible or do you think generally to sort of balance everything and make it work there is someone that takes the reins on the career and someone that that takes more of the reins at home what's your kind of view on whether or not both can go after the career or whether that's actually not possible in in reality yeah I I do believe I do believe it's possible and um of course as a caveat I, I have friends um I've got good friends who for example, have both had corporate careers, but you do need to lean into help. It's someone has to be point uh, at every part of the day. So there has to be a responsible adult at every part of the day that is, um, for example, looking after the children, whether it's one of you or whether it's a nanny or whether it's um, you know, a daycare or something like that. So it can be done, but there does need to be compromise and not everyone is going to get exactly what they want at every point in time. So so that is that. So you can both advance your careers, but there has to be more support around the home. You also have to reconcile whether your belief system is that if I'm never around for my children, I'm not turning up for them or it's damaging them in some way. And I only bring this up because this comes up in many conversations I have with other families who make other decisions and so I think you really just have to decide how you want to live. And there are some moments you do need to be present at. Like if you're going to miss all your kids' recitals and all your kids' sports games and all your kids', you know, final assemblies and, and graduations and all of those things, I just don't think we're in a world where that has to be so. I believe now that there's enough flexibility and awareness that we need to be people and humans and bring up great kids as well and if not you move to a job you either run run the business yourself and make up your own rules or you work for a business that allows you to do that now 
I think just a generation or two ago, it probably wasn't like that. I think the, the fathers had to be at work or, you know, and the mothers had to be at home. Like, I definitely remember that was mum and dad's and their parents' experience more so. You know, of course, there's exceptions to the rule. Um, but, you know, there's, there's going to be a compromise somewhere along the way. Whether or not you get to the end of your career and you go, goodness, I just missed my entire children's upbringing, you have to reconcile that in some way. But there are ways that you can share those, I believe, that you can share those if it's aligned with your beliefs and um, and be there for some of the key events through flexibility. But you must know that every so often you're not all going to get exactly what you want in every moment. Like that's there, there will be compromise in there. Right. And I think that's the key to that is knowing your beliefs. You know, what do you want? What are the things that are most important for you? And will your career will your work will your job flex around that or not and and if not maybe it's not the right path you know maybe you can find it somewhere else I think for a lot of people they don't have that flexibility and and it does feel like maybe a bigger compromise and they're prepared to prepared to make so I look at you and I think wow what an incredible success you've done so much what what does success mean to you now and has that shifted from maybe what you define success as when you were much earlier on in your career? Definitely. I think, um, you know, one of the great gifts of ageing is that I think you or I'm experiencing that I become more mellow. I'm more happier with with less things. And I, I mean the simpler things in life. I, I realise that uh, moments, everything can be in a moment, you know, spending time with a friend, um, one of the kids achieving a goal, um, going to the movies, I mean, stupid stuff, right? And I, I, I tend to sit more presently in that today, but maybe that's because I feel somewhat that I have achieved some things, I'm not sure. I remember chasing things for about a decade, whether it was to get the job done, to sell licenses, to do more pump classes, to lift more weights, to make more money, to have more influence. I remember chasing all those things almost blindly. And it's interesting, I remember back now, now that we've, of course, done all the sleep studies and the recovery uh, data that we're getting from all our wearables and things like that, I was literally underslept for two decades. So I was not operating optimally as a human. And I look back and I recognise that bad decisions were made, I'd get shitty with people, snap at the kids, you know, whatever. But I also know that that was a part of driving a startup forward and it was also part of my genetic and environmental makeup as well so success back back in the day was very aligned because lesnos is always a purpose-driven company so it was very aligned to how many lives can we change through our programming and i was very driven by that the more trainers we train the more clubs we get on board the bigger the more instructors we have the more people we can touch in the community the more lives we can change the more obesity we can reverse, the more, you know, all of those things. I was very, always very driven in that way. As I've got older, I realised that all of those things keep going and that just try to celebrate the moments more. Um, I think I'm winning when, you know, over half the family are kind of heading in the right direction. It's very rare that everything's going 100% in the right direction for all five members of our family at all, all times. I mean, that's mm. that's not life. It is somewhat of a roller coaster, But what I'm hoping that I'm imparting on them is you stay the course, you enjoy the ups and the downs, you 
you might be in a bit of a funk now, but it will pass because things pass. But stick stick to the grind, you know, stick to the things that you need to stick at. Know what you're good at. Step in towards your happiness. Learn your lessons. You know, we've all fallen on flat on our face. I mean, America's a wonderful country. It's a horrible country. It's both things in the same breath. Mm-hmm. And we've learned so many lessons here and everyone learns things. I don't know anyone who's had a, just a cream ride through life having to deal with no big drama and you know especially over the last two to three years we've had every kind of pressure you could imagine pushing in on the family unit and the country and the world and health and finances and I mean everything every pressure Um, separation from others you know losing your job you know all of those things are compounding but to be able to come out of that and go you know what it's still a beautiful world there's work to do there's wonderful people out there sure people are going to let you down you're going to get hurt you're going to make mistakes but you know just generally keep going like just really know what you're about know how you contribute and keep doing that even during tough times even when you don't feel like doing it and keep moving it's one of the big things I did during uh, COVID was I started um, public going live every day a little bit for my mental health but also because I had so many people reaching out who perhaps didn't have the resources or hadn't done as much personal development or any of the things I've been gifted over the years and just to have a conversation and just to get them to, and I called it calm over the pandemic. We kept it going for a couple of years, but connect, act, laugh and move. Keep oh, these things in that. your day. Yeah, keep these things in your day, even if you don't feel like doing it. And you'll find that they just keep you in momentum. There's that word again. They keep you not being stuck on the spot. Oh, I absolutely love that. I love the the calm mentality connect app laugh move is is such an incredible one and probably even more so as everyone's kind of re-establishing their life post-covid as well so absolutely love that one a bit of kind of reflection I, I it's amazing when you kind of talk about your version of success and I hear this more and more as success becomes much kind of smaller uh much smaller things as you get older you know when uh, you know sometimes you kind of think of I've got to achieve, the, achieve these huge things and actually um, often you look back and think, actually, yeah, it was that cinema trip or being able to just sort of spend time with my family or health is wealth and actually realizing what, what kind of really does bring you joy is the things that kind of make you ultimately most successful. If you had your time again, in terms of your wonderful family, advancing your career, the way you kind of balanced everything, the choices that you made, would you change anything? Do you look back really, really proudly with everything that you've managed to achieve, both personally and professionally? Yeah, I... I always find it somewhat of a pointless uh, discussion because if you went back in time, you would be armed with the same resources you had in that moment and you would make the same decisions, I believe. Having said that, I mean, we're all having these, how many other dimensions are there? My husband and I are just in the middle. We're watching Stranger Things just so that we can have the mentality of the kids. And it's like, oh my goodness. I mean, yes, there probably are many, many different versions. Um, I think it's the human journey to to make mistakes and not take advice you know I could easily go back and say goodness I wish I'd listened to that person when they told me that and I wish I'd done that course and I wish I had you know finished my English degree and I wish I'd you know all these things but all these little untidy undone slightly uncomfortable moments in our past I believe create a bit of fuel for choices that we make going forward and there's plenty of things I'm not proud of in my past but then 
you know, the human journey is not perfect. And every single one of us, you know, there's not one of us that's perfect. You know, there's things that have been said, things that have been done, choices that have been made. And it's just letting it unfold, but just perhaps deciding to, to behave differently going forward. And like I said, I feel like I'm halfway through my innings, something like that. I have plenty of time to course correct or try something out or maybe go back and make amends if I feel that something's out of balance. So I don't really. I think if I was still in New Zealand, I'd probably have regrets because it's been hard being over here. There's lots of things that have been really, really challenging for all of us in different ways. But I wouldn't have that any other way. And yeah, the words that my brother gave me once, actually, because I'd been whinging and moaning, obviously, which I wasn't aware of back in New Zealand. He said, oh, you've been complaining about this particular thing for about seven years. And that was when I realized I had to, we had to try and move to the United States because I was feeling small mm. and, I, and I didn't realize it, but he picked it up, you know, and like good siblings, they shove it down your throat and just, he just said, look, you've got, you could have been whinging about that for seven years, do something about it. And from that moment I thought, and I, I you know, my family hear it a lot too. It's like, if you're going to sit there and moan, do something about it or shut up, you know, don't keep going on, you know, you're dragging us all to hell and back. So it's something that I've started noticing too, is the moment I get that uncomfortable feeling, it's like, do something about it or stop complaining. You know, it's one, it's one of the two. And that, again, leads me to momentum. And certainly with a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, it's, uh, it's a point of tolerations. If you can identify what you're tolerating and why it's building up to the point that it's a pain point, and then just put, a, put an action plan in place, I think that's that's how I get people to let go of the guardrail and move on to something, move towards something that they actually desire, but they're too scared to to move towards. Your source of discomfort is comfort. You know, it's sort of, I'm too comfortable in this environment. I need to be more uncomfortable and more challenged. And that's almost your more comforting headspace. And and I guess for a lot of people, it's it's the opposite. Actually, it's a struggle to break out of that comfort zone as opposed to I need to feel more uncomfortable because I'm not going forward if I'm not. My last question to you, what would your advice be for all of the ambitious women out there who, you know, desperately want the career, they're on that path upwards, they maybe have just started their family or are thinking of starting the family, but are unsure sort of how all of this works together, how to balance everything. What would your advice be? I think there's a time for everything. So I think know what you truly desire and be creative in how you can create that. There are no rules today, I believe. And I think if you want a career um, and you want a family, sure, you're going to be busy. Sure, you're going to have, have a, hopefully have a partner or a community or parents or whatever it is support system around you that also support you in that so it's about creating the right environment it's about being very clear around what you want to contribute in this life and then I've watched many many women manage both um, you know you're going to be tired all of those sorts of things but you know we can we can create that and you can also get really focused on how you can push yourself ahead each day um, you know I've watched people earn degrees and you know, work a part-time job in order to achieve something, you know, and while these things might seem really small, and I'm not going to change the world next week by doing this, by putting little habits in every day and in every week, you build towards something. 
Now, this is something I've learned over time. I used to sort of kind of be all in or all out. It was either I could put everything into this thing or it was nothing at all. And it's not that at all. If you just decide I'm going to do one hour of study a day or half an hour or read a, a page of a book, it doesn't matter. What does matter is the consistency, is that if you start doing that every day, you're a different person next week, next month, next year. If you want to work towards a career, and you, you know, maybe you have to start that business yourself, or maybe you have to talk your way into a part-time job, or uh, just, I would say, be very clear on what you're here to contribute. Know that if you don't contribute that, it's going to eat away at you. And then you set your rules around it based on your behaviors. You might say, you know what, I am going to give myself a year off, but what I am going to do alongside that is I'm going to do an online course, which is going to get me really good at accountancy, or I'm going to learn how to design kitchens, or I'm going to learn another language. You know, these things can happen in that beautiful soup that is also bringing up a family. Um, so I would just say, be very clear on what you want to achieve. Um, or you might say, you know, I do want to go back half time to work or I do want to do um, a degree or whatever it is and and start doing it. I mean, we're in an education revolution. We're in a business model revolution. There is a technology transformation going on. I mean, there is so much change around us right now. You can get access to some of the best people in the planet. You can work remotely. One of my dreams, and we're nearly there, is I want to be able to do what I do from wherever I am in the world. And I can. I've deliberately built businesses that do not have an office, and that I can do from any country. Um, so that's my dream, and that's what I'm working towards. So what you'll find is, you know, I make, you know, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, hundreds of decisions a month that lead me towards that end. Um, so I, I would just say, you know, be very strong on what your purpose is. Um, line up your beliefs with the significant others that you live with, be that partner, family, the rest of your family, and make sure that you're creating an environment that you can all somewhat flourish. Because if any, if you have any man or woman down in your family, you all feel that and experience that. So that has to be somewhat of a harmonious environment. We have to back each other and step into those things. So that would be my advice. And then just reach out for help. There's always a person that can help you out of whatever situation. And you don't have to do it all yourself. And you can just carve whatever path you deem is best for you. And it's a long game. You know, you will have 10 careers. Just don't stress out if it doesn't all happen this week. But take a little micro step each week, each day, whatever it is for you. And just enjoy life, you know, just enjoy it. Um, no one has all the answers. No one knows what's happening next year. So just try to put security and control what you can control and uh, really make sure that you have things that you love in your life. Um, that's what gives you the joy, right? Oh, Emma, I feel I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here grinning from ear to ear, just listening to you say your advice about that last question. It's it, honestly just truly inspirational to hear what a beautiful way to end this conversation today. I, I couldn't be more grateful for your time, for your advice, for your wisdom. It will help so many people. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for being here and, and joining in the conversation. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. 
And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.